everybody, and welcome back to the Retro Rents Retro Gaming Podcast. It is episode 83, and I am Al. I'm Nick. And we have a special guest tonight. We are super, super pumped. I know if you've seen some of the posts we've made on the save point, uh, we've kind of been hinting at this for a bit, but we are super, super lucky to have composer, musician, musical, uh, as I said tonight, musical badass from all the research I've done, <laughs> Robert, Robert Holmes joining us today um, for fans of our show who are into Lacey, especially that, you know, a lot of uh, people that listen are people around our age who have played the classics growing up. Uh, Gabriel Knight rings a bell. Uh, Robert obviously, or not Robert, obviously, Gabriel Knight obviously rings a bell. And Robert is the composer and wrote the music and producer behind uh, Gabriel Knight. And we'll, we'll get into that, but we are so happy to have you here today, Robert. Hello. Thanks for having me. Oh, man. Thank you so much. And uh, just a quick thank you uh, to Roberta Vaughn over at the Classic Gamers Guild. Um, for kind of helping us get connected and uh, get this set up. We really appreciate it. Okay. So, I, Nick and I, we're, again, we try to keep this pretty laid back, and I think we'll kind of start towards at least the beginning because we'd love to get an idea of, you know, especially with somebody of creative talent, kind of what helped, you know, where you came from, what formed, you know, your your style or whatever, and... Um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna hand this over to Nick and let him ask a, a few questions and we'll we'll, we'll get get rolling. Yeah. Awesome. So so yeah, like I said, we kind we 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 enjoy like what you would call the origin story, you know, more or less. Like you know, how did you get started? You know, uh, or uh, we'll start I guess on the music side. Like you know, uh, where did you first start getting into music? You know, either like performing or just like mm -hmm. following in general. Yeah. Um. You know, I was really lucky. I grew up. Uh, in a little town, uh, Whittier, which was about 20 minutes from Hollywood. And there was wow. something in the water um, in that <laughs> town because a bunch of people that I went to school with all ended up pro. Uh, you know, one guy plays with Paul McCartney, one guy plays with Burt Bacharach. Oh, a bunch wow. of us went into you know various um, musical careers. So it was a, a really cool community to be a part of. Um, and I played, you know, I started really young playing in a lot of bands uh, in Orange County and L.A. And, and Hollywood. So, you know, that was great experience playing just about everything, you know, you could possibly do during the 60s and 70s and 80s. And oh, then wow. um, ended up doing some studio work and, and uh, post-production uh, film post-production in, in L.A. and had done that for a while and uh, found my way to Sierra um, really on a lark. Um, they actually hired uh, my then wife as creative director and so I, I you know, found myself in a little mountain town with, without a lot to do and so I decided, well, you know, I guess I'll, I'll do some music for them. And um, uh, it just turned into to this great thing. And, uh, you know, it, it, it was really interesting for me because I had a lot of, of technology background um, and also a lot of musical background. And, and so both of those things were very valuable at Sierra. And uh, just 
also my education, which was in film scoring and, and cinema history. Um, you know, because we, we had pretty lofty ideas back then that we were actually, you know, making interactive films, um, which may or may not have yeah. been what ended up happening. But, uh, but yeah, so it, it, it was an interesting path. And, and, you know, I had some great experiences uh, coming up through all of that. It's, that's interesting that you put it as, as interactive films, because... Again, you know, I, I grew up playing those games as they came out. And I think I remember very vividly the first time I played uh, Gabriel Knight. Um, I mean, again, and this this is, you know, no dig at any other previous Sierra games. I pretty much played their entire, entire catalog growing up. But there was something about the Gabriel Knight score that felt very cinematic. It felt very... Um, it felt like a step up. Like, and, and again, a lot of the music they did was phenomenal, but like, it might have been, and, and maybe this is where you can get into some of the technology bit. There was definitely something, at least in that era, in that game kind of started a more, um, it, it felt like a more smart um, way of like scoring the music. Like, I, I and I might be remembering this wrong, uh, but if I'm not, like, I remember, like, if you're walking out of, you know, this one. Uh, uh, bar or cafe that was there and you're going towards the park as you're going to the door you could kind of hear the trumpets playing you know when the saints go marching in in the middle of the field <laughs> um what was the technology like uh, at that point in time i know because i know a lot of y'all have to deal with with the technology at the time there was definitely limitations um and this is something i know we kind of had later but it, i'm very curious as to you know what were your constraints during that very early time of kind of the merging of computer games and music. Yeah, you know, it was an interesting, we, I think Jane and I um, felt like we were right on the cusp of a lot of change and evolution of what was possible technically. Uh, when I first started at Sierra a couple of years before Gabriel Knight, um, you know, I was I was mainly doing musical conversions of scores that the other guys had done for for other games on sound blasters. You know, so it was like or or Max and and you know it was basically editing blips and beeps. Um, so just circumstantially, I think when GK came along, we were right at a time where there were some hints of what might be more possible. There were some ways that just because of my background, um, we wanted to push the technology and see if we could do things. And, and circumstantially, Sierra was also creating a new engine in general that would have a lot of new capabilities. So all of that, and then you, you know, about halfway through the development of GK1, the Roland Sound Canvas came out, which gave me a lot more flexibility. Oh. So it was, it was just really kind of one of those things of, well, you know, we're going to push and see what's possible. And we may, you know, fall on our face in a few places, but at least maybe we'll do something new. Now, you, you mentioned kind of like a, the new engine. Like how, how much does, at least at this time, does the engine uh, for a game play into either the constraints or the the... the power that you're able to put into you know like a score or you know the, you know the background music for a game 
Um, it, it was really critical, um, and especially in a company like uh, Sierra, where there was such an integration between the design, the sort of creative voice of the, the games and the series, and building the engines to support what they knew the designers were itching to achieve. And especially because you had, you know, somebody like Roberta at the top who was creatively motivated to push the company in those directions and push the development teams in those directions. So all of that was, was I think, one of the strengths that really made um, Sierra Powerful was that center, that really close relationship between the development engine, the development teams, and the creative side of the company. And, and that's not always true. You know, I've worked at other companies where it's like, you know, cats and dogs and, you know, producers kind of get in the middle and try to get everybody to the finish line. That's interesting. Yeah, like, we... Um... We we previously interviewed uh, Christy Marks, and she was talking about her time at Sierra, and it, it really sounds like, you know, even when you're talking about with, um, <clears throat> you know, you and, and Jan and pushing the envelope, like feeling you're on the cusp of something, um, we, we got the impression that it was like a really unique kind of Wild West environment for y'all in the sense that, like, there wasn't a book when you came in that said, here's how you do this here. And here's how you do that here. Like, you know, at here being at Sierra and you kind of were able yep. to, again, work together and forge your own path creatively we, for you. Like, well, how, you know, what was that like? I mean, that must've been really stimulating. Yeah. You know, I, I think that's a great analogy. I, I think it really was that kind of wild West, you know, where we felt like we were building the road as we drove and um, the great thing was, you know, there was a bunch of really talented people and really smart people. And um, in general, the spirit within the company was, you know, really collaborative, which had a, a, a great impact, I think, on, on how things evolved. Um, with Jane and I specifically, and, you know, I, I have to give Jane the credit for this. You know, she very clearly... I know, I know Christy and, and some other folks really had worked to help move the company in these directions, but I think Jane really went to Ken Williams strongly and said, look, you know, I want to do something more mature, more ambitious, more Definitely. cinematic, um, all of those things. So the fact that Ken got behind that vision really helped us also, you know, push the technology and push whatever else we needed to make that possible. It's great. So, so kind of getting a little bit more into, you know, maybe, maybe how the sausage is made, so to speak. Uh, like, so you kind of had this, you know, it's like, you know, we want to do this, just this more mature and cinematic, you know, game. Once they, they kind of had that vision, like what, what are you given as a kind of a, a score composer to, creating like scenes for the game because you know i think i'll mention it you know i you know because it seems like you're creating like a lot of stuff for something like gabriel knight where it's like not only like background music where yeah you're walking into kind of the city center and there's like you know these blues bands you know you know playing you know the various what would be background music for like you know a 
on you know an actual you know, movie or something like that but you're also playing you know creating the score for the other parts of the game where it's like it's mood setting a mood and a timbre for that so like what are you are you like are you given like kind of uh these scenes or descriptors or even just like uh, uh kind of early rendition you know artist renditions of like what would the scene would look like or what's happening yeah, it was um, it was really interesting with GK1 uh, because Jane and I really sort of started partnering very early while she was in the process of creating the concept. So we would actually, before we even had a team, we would spend hours just sort of walking around Bass Lake, talking about her vision, talking about the characters, talking about the story, talking about the, the universe. <laughs> talking about even specifically, you know, this is the, the way we want it to be received. This is the way the press is going to write about it. This is, you know, the impact it's going to have. And and that kind of manifestation of, of all of those elements really started at that point, which was very valuable for me as a composer, because by the time I actually started thinking about musical ideas, I knew the entire story. I knew all the characters. I knew the whole arc of where the series was going to go even after this first episode. And so it was very easy for me um, to just have the art directors give me a sketch of a room and say, okay, here's the Getty estate. Um, And I would just, you know, sit at my piano and write to that sketch. Wow. So like... That, I, I can just imagine, like, having that kind of partnership really early on, it's it's almost like, you know, from an audio sense, you're writing the game together, and that's really cool. Um, you know, I, I remember growing up in that era very well, uh, just to get games that, that, like Gabriel Knight, you know, had a lot of, of multimedia and, and were really pushing the hardware to its limits. Uh, I, I very well remember editing my config.sys to get the game to run so it was <laughs> out of the game. <laughs> yep, you know, yep. um, but I, I genuinely wonder, you know, the score that you wrote for Gabriel Knight, and, and I even saw a YouTube video of you playing it on piano, like, it is so layered and it is so full. Like, even the main theme, you know, you make a piano sound like there's six different instruments playing at once, and I, rem- I I just remember how limiting the hardware was back then. You know, you're talking about an an engine, a disk base, and I and I've talked to um, uh, Dan. Oh my God, I, I feel so bad for getting forgetting his last name, but he's working with uh, another uh, game creator, Julia Minamata, making the Crimson Diamond, and he's composing it all on a Roland MT32. And, like, they'll do sessions where he's showing you how it's done, and I'm looking at that going, like, that thing is crashing every 10 minutes. And apparently that was just what it did. Um, or at least maybe it was maybe the emulation thing. But, like, I imagine, you know, what you wanted to do versus what you had to work with must have conflicted. Can you kind of give us a, a insight or a look into um, what limitations of the technology at the time that you had to deal with? Because I'm sure there are people listening to this that you know, who didn't grow up in that time, don't realize, like, you had limited, very limited memory, you had very limited uh, hardware to work with, you couldn't just do everything that you might have wanted to do, and I was just wondering what limitations you ran into yourself. Yeah, yeah any, it maybe, was, maybe. you know, it was a real challenge. Um, I, you know, as as a creative, I really 
firmly believe that most, at least for myself, the best creative happens, you know, when I'm really put into a box and I'm really forced to work within certain parameters. And um, as you said, you know, there, there were huge limitations. Now, I was also, compared to some of the other, you know, amazing composers at Sierra, some of these guys were genius in terms mm -hmm. of MIDI and early MIDI implementation and how to, how to manipulate that. Um, I was, I sort of came from the other end of the spectrum, having had a, a rock and roll in a studio career. I was right. actually kind of stubborn. I was like, hey, you know, this is the way I make music. <laughs> and I'm, I'm going to force it. I'm going to force it into this little machine, you know, uh, which was very uh, kind of a arrogant approach, I guess. But, um, but I think that had some impact on me, you know, kind of asking more out of the technology just because I was that stubborn. Um, and I was that ignorant. I had to do it that way because I really wasn't that great with MIDI and with the technology. Um, but yeah, you know, what, what I tried to do in general, and especially it was interesting on, on GK1 because I had both roles, as you mentioned, the producer and the composer. So I would spend the first half of my day as the producer working with the team and working on schedules and budgets and all that. And then I'd spend the second half of the day, I'd turn around and I had my piano behind my desk and I'd, you know, write music all afternoon. Um, but what I would do is I, I tried not to place limitations on the music in the original version. I would just write it the way I wanted to hear it. And then as I got to each layer of the technology and, you know, each version of how a game goes out and, and the technology, the hardware that it's going to be played on, you kind of had to take one more step down, you know, in terms of what was possible. Right. But I always wanted to start as rich as possible and then just whittle it down as needed. Yeah, sorry, go ahead, Nick, please. <laughs> uh, uh, just uh, maybe back up a little bit. Yeah, so so like, I guess, what were your roles as kind of the more the producer side? Kind of, kind of you know, obviously, you know, it seems like you were wearing two hats. Uh, so could you, you know, kind of explain what happened as a as a producer in general uh, for the game? Yeah, and I'll just um, fill this. I'm a. I was gonna say I'm a project manager in my day my my day job. Uh -huh, and it uh -huh. sounds a, an awful lot like that. I'm very <laughs> it is, it's very it's very similar. And and you know in the early days of gaming, it was actually very similar to a film producer. It's like you know right. you had you had the ultimate responsibility for the project. You were the the conduit between the team wow. and management. You owned the budget. You owned the schedule. You, you know, we're in charge of the health and feeding of the team, hiring, firing, you know, all of that, all of that good stuff. If it went well and you and the game made money, you were a great producer. If it didn't go well and it ran over budget, <laughs> you know, you, you, you had an issue. Um, but yeah, it, it was good for me because I could use both sides of my brain, you know, I, yeah. and it kind of gave me ways to develop in both directions. God, I can't even imagine that. Like that that just blows my mind in you know in the sense that dealing with that for half of your day and well, I, I guess it's not, you know, too out of the park, but like that's that's kudos to you, you know, wrangling all that for, you know, the first half of the day. And then you're you're sitting down writing music, which I'm sure is, is fun, 
but like that can be draining and just being able to wear those two hats and especially like I would say today probably especially you would never hear of that at a game company I think it's just one of the things it sounds to me that's that made at that point in time working at a company like Sierra is super unique where it's like you did get to use both half both halves of your brain and and bring that together that's really wild and I, I guess kind of taking the next step uh, step here. So now, like, you've made Gabriel Knight 1. It's, it's you know, it, a great, you know, it's a good success for sure to where Sierra, you know, is, is down for making the next game. And at this point, Gabriel Knight 2 comes along, and this was definitely at the peak of, at the time, what were uh, full motion video uh, adventure games because the CD-ROM was more widely adapted. Uh, more people were able to have one. And so game designers, creators, producers were able to do a lot more uh, with the hardware than they could before. And so the Gabriel Knight series for this specific game took a very cinematic uh, approach and full motion video for scenes. And you were controlling what looked like an actor in a movie. And that was the first thing I thought of when, you know, Robert, when you were saying how you wanted the interactive, uh, you know, an interactive movie, which was, was what these were and so now you're you're sitting in the seat and you're writing the music and i i wonder your approach with gabriel knight one of writing it how you wanted to hear it how did that help you at gabriel knight two where it's like okay well now you got the orchestra <laughs> rock on <laughs> <laughs> yeah you know it was interesting gk2 was a really interesting time because um Jane and I had gone to Europe. We'd spent a lot of time researching the story and researching Wagner and Ludwig. And um, I even went to Wagner's grave and apologized for what I was about to do. Um, <laughs> and, you know, we watched a lot of opera in Vienna. I mean, it was, it was all really wonderful fuel. Um, so then we got, we got back to California. We started on the game. And we were a few months in, and and it's kind of ironic, given that I had you know this film background. Um, I got an offer for another a different job up in Seattle, uh, working with Paul Allen and the musician Sting, which I couldn't really say no to. <laughs> and we're talking, um, talking Paul Allen, like Microsoft Paul Allen. Yeah. Holy and, crap! Um, All right, continue. <laughs> So yeah, but he had a, he had a new company he was starting called Starwave, where he basically went out and found all the artists that he was passionate about, people like Sting and and Peter Gabriel and sure. Eastwood and Steven Spielberg, and and he basically set up teams to work with all of these artists and said, okay, you know, you've got two years, go follow Sting around and and make cool content, and you know, you have a blank check. So wow. So the, the the dynamic was kind of interesting because Jane and I had done a lot of, you know, development and prep. Um, and, you know, I was really excited about what I knew GK2 was going to be and, and, and the vision she had for that. Um, but I couldn't say no to this job. So, so I, took, <laughs> I took that job and left Sierra. Um, they continued with the development of GK2, obviously. And then um, about two thirds of the way through, I had a two week vacation 
and I used that time to write the music for GK2, and I did it in my home studio. Um, oh, wow. So it was a, a very different dynamic than GK1. Um, and, it, and it was great because at that point, you know, as you mentioned, again, sort of going back to the Wild West, uh, we kind of said, hey, you know, we, we don't care if the users have to load 57 CDs. <laughs> we're going to do what we want to do, you know. Yeah. Um, and, and so it, was, it, it had that great spirit. And, and um, so it was cool from a musical perspective because I could do it as an actual audio. I could record it and produce it the way I wanted to hear it. Yeah. And know that it would be heard that way in general. Um, and then, of course, came this little thing where Jane said, hey, could, could you write me an opera? And, That's um, what I was getting at. I wanted to know if you wrote that opera. <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah. awesome. Yeah, so, so the, and, and that was that was a real trip, you know. Um, uh, my my buddy, who was another great Sierra composer, Jay Usher, uh, came up to Seattle to help me out because um, he was very gifted as a, a, a scorer and and notation guy, and we knew we were going to be working with opera singers, and and you just you know they they won't do anything if it's not on the paper. For so, sure. <laughs> um, so that was a really interesting experience, you know, working with the Seattle Opera and then shooting the opera at uh, the Moore Theater in Seattle. Did you uh, did you get to interact with any of the the cast? Um, I, I I can I can't remember his name now, but the the villain um, in Gabriel Knight Two is a, a pretty famous. After if he's the one I'm thinking, or I'm probably getting this wrong. Actually, I probably even shouldn't even ask this question because I, I purposely annoy my wife with, "Is that Burt Reynolds in every other movie?" And she hits me. Um, <laughs> but no, yeah. like, did you interact with any of that cast? Yeah, you know, um, all all of the GKs. We were so lucky they get amazing cast, and you know, going back to GK one where we had you know oh, Tim yeah. Curry and Mark Hamill and Peter Dorn and Julia oh, yeah. Rimini. You know, all of these people were like, it was like, you know, to be in a computer game was the big cool thing. Oh, man. So, so, you know, we had these wonderful experiences of, you know, recording with Tim for a couple of days or recording with Mark. And um, same thing with, with GK2, you know, they they had a, a great cast. We had a great crew. Um, so we were just really fortunate all the way around with that kind of stuff. Yeah, no, that that's super cool, and, and it was that that was one of my lingering questions from the time I played Gabriel Knight Two was, like, I the opera scene was one of my favorites because obviously it's it's a very, uh, very strong beat of the climax of that game, and it, you know, I, I spoiler alert we're we're beyond twenty years now. Um, <laughs> um, it is, it, you know, it's it part of the story of the game is they find a. A, a long lost Wagnerian opera and they perform it in the game. And like, I, I thought it was awesome. Like I thought it was, it was believable. <laughs> like it obviously shows you did a ton of research uh, from a musical standpoint. And um, 
I, I don't know. I just, I, I, I thought well, I had a question here, but it's, it was, it's, you know, it was so much fun to do because, yeah. uh, you know, at the time, you know, talking about technology at the time, sampling was very new and mainly the only, the only company that was doing it at all was a company called Kurzweil who were, were making keyboards that were samplers. And, you know, what I did is I got one of these keyboards and I just loaded it with tons of trombones. <laughs> and, and so it was hysterical. You know, I'd have like 200 trombones. And uh, because that was my perception as a rock and roll guy, that was my perception of Wagner. Was, you know, what he loved. Just, he loved all, those, all that brass, yeah. yeah. All that brass. <laughs> so, you know, it, it was kind of... A, I guess a, a, a one big paintbrush, and I'm sure not a, a lot of real, you know, studied uh, people who really know Wagner would probably say, well, you know, <laughs> maybe not quite, but but it was it was a, a blast to do, and, and you know, it's, it's still cool. Uh, there's still people out there, you know, restoring the footage and posting it, and, and you know, playing the music. So it means a lot that it it obviously worked. Yeah, it still, it still gets all that playtime, huh? Yeah. So after uh, kind of GK2 and 3, uh, the, the next uh, game you were associated with uh, was called Gray Matter. Um, it's just uh, very much a more, I felt a more subdued uh, score when listening to it. Uh, but it's the, uh, at least you know, within gaming, the first time we see uh, Scarlet Furies, which is uh, the band that you're, you're part of, right? Yep. Yeah. Um, and again, just sort of ha happy circumstances, you know, um, Jane and I were working on the game together at the same time that I was developing that band with my daughter, Raleigh, and, um, and that band was kind of an accident. Um, she was working on an acting career and had some showcases in Los Angeles and needed a band, and so she said, you know, can you put a band together for me, Dad? So I called a bunch of my old high school buddies. I hadn't seen for 20 years and we rehearsed with her for a couple of weeks and we did this first showcase and it went over so well you know that became the Scarlet Furies and we ended up touring and and doing albums for six years um so it was just again it was just one of those happy accidents and it happened to to all go on at the same time that gray matter was being developed and we just kind of said hey it would be cool to you know put Put some Scarlet Furies in the game, thinking, well, maybe it'll work. We're not sure. You know, it's kind of an odd texture to put in an adventure game. Um, but people seem to really, you know, latch onto it. And, and uh, we got, you know, we got a lot of great feedback and, and sounded like people enjoyed it. Yeah, it really kind of fit that kind of almost noir feel I think the game was trying to go for. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, you know, we used to describe the Furies as, as you know, gothic, sort of southern gothic roots. Um, and, uh, you know, that, it's it's funny because, you know, obviously Grey Matter is, is, takes place in England. So it's mm -hmm. kind of a weird combination, yeah. but, you know, I guess oh, it, it works, works. though. <laughs> <laughs> it works. But again, you know, it's something that we could only do because the technology had gotten to the place where we could just provide audio, you know. We didn't really have to worry about many issues. How far we've come. Yeah, and, and I have to say, I've I've been listening to Safe and Arms all day. Like I, I just 
it's funny, I played Grey Matter when it came out, and, you know, I knew, oh, this is by, you know, uh, Jane Jensen and Gabriel Knight, um, and then I find out, you know, as we're doing the research and the deep dive, like, oh, wait, Robert's making the music for this! <laughs> he made the music <laughs> for this! And, um, it's, you know, it, it, it has a sound to me, like, I was I was describing it to a friend who's a fan of, uh, you know, the Gabriel Knight series, I was, I was pointing to Grey Matter, and I said, you know, the, the same composer did uh, the music for this one. And I'm like, it almost feels like Southern Celtic-y. <laughs> like, I, I couldn't... <laughs> but it, it's, it's, yeah. it's fantastic. And, like, what I think is so cool, like, I was watching um, the YouTube video for Sam's theme uh, that y'all have up for mm -hmm. Scarlet Furies. And the comments are just awesome. Like, you could tell there were people that really connected with the game because they connected through the music and you know as somebody who creates things how do you how do you, how does it feel knowing that you know it's been some years since gray matter uh came out and like people are still connecting with that song connecting with the game mainly because of that song and it, i mean that's the the thing i got out of the comments was you know they enjoyed the game but oh, this song just draws them back. Like, how does that feel as a creative artist, knowing that you know, almost ten years on, like that torch still burns? You know, it's it's so rewarding. Um, and you know, as as you guys know, we're we're kind of currently right in the middle of this Kickstarter for a new album of oh, yeah. GK style <laughs> themes. Um, and we thought, you know, well. we'll uh, We'll kind of jump out there and see if people are interested in, in having this done. And it's been so great to get the feedback and see so many people, you know, uh, still, you know, loving that music. Um, I had done an album a few years ago called A Simple Refrain, where I had this wonderful uh, buddy piano player who took a lot of the old GK and Grey Matter music and just did wonderful piano versions. Um, and it was great to see the response to that as well. So, you know, as a as a writer, um, it's such just so uh, gratifying to know that you're giving somebody that kind of pleasure and that it means something to them, and that you're helping. Hopefully, you know, it's it's a positive contribution. Um, and you know, I have to say, with something uh, with a lot of the Fury stuff, and especially with Safe in Arms. That song, the heart of that song, the spirit of that, what that, that's Raleigh. And that's, that's her music coming forward, oh, her, her voice, her words. Um, and, you know, I'm just really proud of that and proud of her. That's, that's so cool. Like, you know, I, I have very young children of my own. I started kind of late in life in that regard, but like, you know, I, I used to be in a band. I, I don't know. It's, it's not about me, but like, I can imagine as a father, like, that's that's got to be amazing. And she's incredibly talented. The the videos that I've seen uh, that y'all have made as the Scarlet Furies, like, the music's great. The stage presence is awesome. Like, that's got to be pretty cool. Just kind of seeing that, like, you know, something in that creative vein that that exists in you you know, continues, you know, through your daughter, who's also incredibly talented, like, I, that's just gotta yeah. be really You know, it was the best of both worlds for me, because here I'm, 
you know, the rest of the guys in the band are all guys I grew up with who I had disconnected from for 20 years. And How great we, is that? We reconnect, and it's like oh. you know, we, ne we never stopped playing together. And, you know, and it just happens to really click with her and what she wanted to do musically. And so, you know, to get up on a stage with all of that and, and be surrounded by just, you know, the, the love and the history of that. And especially there were times where, you know, we would play shows where we'd be opening for some of our musical heroes, you know, like Leon Russell or the Zombies <laughs> or, you know, Jimmy Messina or something. And, you know, it was just oh. so weird because it was like you're just surrounded by this amazing experience, you know. Um, oh. So, yeah, it, it, it was a real, real blessing, something I'm really proud of. That is, that's, that's so cool. I, I guess, Nick, we'll wait till my daughter gets a little older and then we'll all get back together. She'll do way better than I ever did. <laughs> No, that's that's really cool, though. I mean, you know, I, I always I always get so fascinated looking at the creative side of things. But um, but yeah, no, actually, Nick, I'll, I'll let you take this one. I, I like I like where you're going with, with uh, what you wanted to ask you. So I don't mean to interrupt, but that's really cool, man. I appreciate you sharing that, Robert. That's thank that's you. So yeah. So uh, after after Green Matter, uh, we had Mobius uh, again, another in the game in the same vein, and, and kind of creative uh, people behind it as well. Uh, and this, you know, obviously shifts to a more driving uh, kind of almost an adventure uh, sound. And it sounded like it had a lot more, I say, live in instrumentation uh, than the previous titles. It was just again kind of driven more by that creative freedom, or just like you you had technical freedom at this point. You know, uh, you know, as the technology has now progressed at this point. Well, you know, it's really funny. I mean, I, you can you could look at all of the games that Jane and I have have been involved in. And there is a direct relationship with the stuff that we're digesting, you know, whether it's movies we like or a TV series we're really into or a book. In a... So um, with Mobius, we had just spent, you know, a couple of years as really big fans of the Sherlock Holmes series. Oh, and so we... Are you talking about the games? Yeah. Oh, no, we're talking about the, the show. Uh, okay, the show. Okay. Um, Jeremy, Jeremy Brett, or no, I'm sorry, you're thinking Benedict, uh, Cumberbatch. Benedict uh, Cumberbatch, yeah. yeah. And, uh, and you know, I've always been a big fan of, of the Bond movies and all of that, too. Oh, yeah. So, uh, so you know, when when Jane, well, you know, we did pink, the Pinkerton Road thing, and we actually asked the contributors and the, and the, the uh, people who signed up to pledge to vote, and we thought that they would vote for gray matter too and instead they right. voted for mobius um so <laughs> so we're like oh okay um <laughs> all right uh, uh, you know i i kind of looked at it as doing a bond movie and that's i mm. mean if you if you listen to the main theme of mobius it's a total bond movie ripoff you know <laughs> <laughs> it, it did have that tone i was like it's like kevy what that's what they're going for is <laughs> <laughs> It's a good um, tip of the hat, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but you know, that was an interesting time. We had, we had done uh, the Pinkerton Road thing, and and uh, you know, got great support by doing that. Um, but we kind of you know bit off a, a big challenge. We were doing three games at once. We did 
you know, oh, Mobius, wow. we did the remake of GK1 at the same time. And then we also did a kid's oh. game called Lola and Lucy's Big Adventure, which was based on our bulldogs. <laughs> so so oh, it's very, awesome. very schizophrenic, you know. But, but you know, we were proud. Uh, we were actually one of the, the few developers who kind of went into the Kickstarter world early. You know, yeah, you all were there early, early on. I remember yeah, that. Yeah, and, and, and we, you know, frankly, we were one of the only ones who actually delivered on what we said we were going to do and, and did it in the time frame we said we were going to do it. So, Speaking of personal financial experience, I can verify that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, not that we didn't have to kind of put some of our own money in to help it along, but oh, sure. you know, it, 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 it ended up, you know, yes, there are compromises in those games. There had to be, you know, we were working with stupid small budgets, but, um, yeah. but we, we were, you know, still fairly happy with the way stuff came out. Yeah. So, all right. So that, that's a good follow up there then. So it was like with this, you know, you're back in the box, as you say, with a different kind of limitation. Uh, now the technology is there, and, you know, vision-wise, you could do whatever you wanted. Um, you know, as far like, technology wasn't limiting you. And you bring up a really interesting point with, like, Kickstarters and fan-funded stuff. You know, obviously, uh, for those, again, for those who don't know, uh, making games are extremely expensive, especially today. But, like, back in the Sierra days, like, that was the first time you started hearing of games having, like, a multi-million dollar budget. Like, when you get to, like, yep. the film-acted games and stuff. Uh, unless I'm speaking out of turn there. Uh, no, you're, you're right. You're right. Um, yeah. And, you know, yeah. We, we, used to, uh, we used to laugh because uh, kind of every year, you know, the teams and the designers would have to go in and pitch Ken Williams on their ideas and, and you know we'd go in and we'd ask for these what we thought were just outrageous budgets and uh, <laughs> and you know we'd about fall over if if Ken was into an idea he'd just say okay yeah good do it you know <laughs> so, God but uh, but yeah it's and you know those budgets now you know are minuscule compared to what the games have sure. now these you know sure but uh, yeah. yeah it was interesting when we did you know when we did mobius and the gk1 remake the remake was actually more of a constraint because really yeah it was very weird um I'm trying to think the best way to describe this it, it, it's kind of like you had to pray to, musically you had to pray to two gods one you had to ref you had to carry forward and honor what this sort of beloved music yeah. from the original version that you know people are very sensitive about. Oh, you know he didn't he didn't do that right or he didn't do this. And then on the other hand, it's a remake, so they expect it to be somehow better <laughs> and different. So it's like where do you draw that line? You know, how do you improve the quality and and you know, make something that seems like it's it's an improvement, but on the other hand, carries the spirit and is reverent of the original. And you know, there it's. I, I think candidly, I think the reception um, to the remake in general was a little mixed because of that. Because some people were like, 
you know, it lost the spirit when it wasn't the same as the, the original version, technically. Yeah. Um, and I can understand that. Yeah, it's 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 hard to to it's hard to explain. Like you know, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of the original, and like I'm one of those weird people. Like I love, I I love anyone's attempt at a remake. Like you know, anyone that feels that inspired that wants to try to create something, not necessarily do it better, but like you know, try to do it in a, a more you know, it's like colorizing black and white film. Yeah, uh, is exactly. Just, you know, it's the best way I can put it. And yes, it, it brings uh, further some details, but there's just something about, you know, the mood of the presentation, yeah. uh, everything with the limitations that the technology, I think at the time, you know, offers where it's just like, no, that's, that's really something special. Um, I, I think, yeah, I, I, I've, in a way it, it's so interesting. I didn't realize you were in part of the uh remake score it's just i i i i must have missed that but it's to me it's like my i'm not even kidding you when that came out my one of my first thoughts was i really uh i'm rooting for the voice acting cast and mm. the composer because they have an impossible job <laughs> yeah yeah it's really true it's like how, you know how could you improve on the, the first one for what it was you know um, and it was really odd for me musically because, I mean, literally, I know this sounds stupid, but, you know, I sat down and listened to the original soundtrack and I thought, I have no idea what I did there. You know, <laughs> I have no idea how to play That's that. That's not weird at all. <laughs> you know, I, I literally had to go back and learn that stuff the same way I would learn anybody else's music, you know. Um, and it was hilarious because, you know, I, I'd find, figure out something I did and I'd think, wow, you know, that's really good. I, I have no idea how to do that now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, like in putting together, did you have anything left over from the originals or was it just simply it was just coded in and just kind of lost with time, so to speak? Um, no, it was kind of. It, there were there were a few of the tracks that I had always kind of stayed aware of and always thought, oh, you know, if I ever get to redo this, I'm I'm going to change right. this or I'm going to change that. But then there were some of the tracks I'd totally forgotten about. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it was probably convenient that I did, but <laughs> but uh, it was a really interesting experience to sort of you know imitate yourself successfully. <laughs> I'm just, I love that, again, when I realized that fact prior to our interview, I'm like, I, I can't remember what I did one decade ago, much less more than that. <laughs> and, you know, coming back, like, that had to be such a surreal experience. Like, I love that you touched on that, because, like, you know, it, it there there's, you know, there are musical artists out there that they'll, they'll, they write something and they may not play it again for years. And even just picking that up again, you know, you're thinking to yourself like, wow, I did that. I, I just, I've always wondered what that was like. And that's, that's so interesting to me that like, you know, you're looking at this years later and, and maybe for people listening, you know, it's like, Oh, get the sheet music. It's like, no, um, <laughs> when, you, <laughs> when you create music, it's like, or anything really like it's a part of what you are at that point in time and the experiences that you have and the things that 
um, maybe things that you're dealing with or going through, but whatever, whatever you create that point in time is very uniquely yourself. And especially if like, you're going back and looking at a whole body of work like you did, Robert, like that just, that has to be really surreal. Well, um, and it, you know, it's even, it was even weirder what you came <laughs> in because um, we were under such a crazy schedule on GK1. And you know, as, as I talked about, I kind of had this split role, so I didn't have a lot of time on the oh, music. God. And so, so I actually, a lot of those, those musical themes are based on little tidbits that I, I had had sitting around, you know, since I was 17. <laughs> wow. That I had recorded on a little cassette somewhere, you know. Um, and then I, I built a, a, something out of them. Um, so it was even weirder to go back and, and relearn this stuff because it's like, oh, God, I remember writing that, you know, when I was 14. You know? Wow. Um, God, I, I just I can't even imagine that. That's so cool. Like, it, it's like almost three, not like three phases of life in one soundtrack. It's like <laughs> where I was to where I am now to where I will be then. Like, uh, that's wild. That is so wild. I don't even think that happens very often. Uh, but no, that's that's really cool. Thank you again. again uh, that's sure. Well, and, you know, it was a, all of the, the GK stuff also for me musically, it was actually pretty challenging because in general, I'm a guitarist and, and not really a, really? a pianist. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a guitar player who plays a little piano. Um, so the fact that I in general, had to write most of the music on piano, you know, really stretched me and, and in a good way, you know, obviously was was a good challenge. Wow. But, but, you know, when I go back to try and learn some of it, it's like, oh, God, you know, I have to think like a piano player. <laughs> I've watched I've watched you play that main theme on YouTube, and, and I'm a guitarist that took piano lessons back in my day. Uh, you can play piano too. It's cool. <laughs> You're, that is that is wild to me. That again, like it, it just there. And again, I say this with with no 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 you know uh, snark or anything. But there really is kind of a, a difference between a musician, not a musician and a composer. But like the fact that you. You basically arranged symphonic scores for these games in a time where I would say it was the most layered in a in a computer game. We're talking GK one, but again, GK two. You wrote a freaking opera, or at least part of one. <laughs> like, like. Well, you know, it, ignorance is bliss, right? <laughs> <laughs> that is so. Like, I I didn't know, you know. It's it's funny because I have friends who are like you know seriously classically trained and and they'll listen to something and they'll be like you know a real instrument cannot do that or you know a real string <laughs> string section will not do that and I just kind of say well you know fuck it I did it <laughs> you know it's like um, it it that was actually for me one of the fun things about doing as you said all the layered stuff was that you know if I, if I could hear it in my head I could I could pretty much do it which was fun that's awesome um let me just see here no they, that really threw me for a loop 
Uh, I'd like to, again, we do the origin story and stuff. Um, I would love to kind of fast forward to today. And um, you, you, you talked about it earlier, but uh, as part of that, like, what are you working on today? And, and please, let's talk about your Kickstarter. I, I want to hear about that uh, mm -hmm. sequel. Uh, Robert's uh, project uh, Kickstarter is called Sequel. It is a Gabriel Knight inspired, uh, you know, kind of uh, game music composition, uh, if I understand correctly. I, I will be backing it very shortly, but I just want to get uh, the message out that, like, this is something really cool and new, but um, is there anything else you're working on before we get to that uh, that you'd love to shine a light on? Like, what you doing nowadays? <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, the, the last few years, I've, I've actually been doing more producing as a record producer. Uh -huh. um, you know, I did a lot of that with the Scarlet Furies, and I really enjoyed that. Um, and uh, I did that with uh, some folks called the Brothers Four, who are, okay. um, you know, really legendary folk artists from the 1960s and and it oh, was wow. a huge huge thrill for me because i was i was a total fan when i was a kid you know these guys they had grammys oscars they all, all their oh stuff God. was in, you know they did soundtracks for movies they played for jfk you know the, oh, wow. huge huge Whoa. historic folk act um and you know it, it was really cool uh, what happened was I did a cover of one of their tunes and I posted it uh, just for kicks because I love to do covers with friends sure. when, we, when we have some time. And I put it up and about three days later, I got this email um, <laughs> from, the, from the leader of, of the Brothers Four and he was like, hey, you know, we love what you did. Um, do you want to do an album together? And uh, it turned into this just beautiful friendship and, and relationship and, uh, and, and something I'm really proud of the way the album came out. That is so awesome. And it, it, that does happen. I mean, I, we never made an album, but we got to actually go to, uh, uh, <laughs> I just, I, that just really brought back a memory. Uh, when we did have a band, Nick was, was in my band and, uh, um, oh, cool. I did, a, I did a cover of a song from a band in the 90s called sublime um did a cover yeah. of a song called saw red and it was it was an acoustic version of that and we had posted it on myspace and that got us the drummer of the band bud god like sent us a message that turned into one thing went to another uh started with an interview and then all of a sudden we were you know in the friends and family section at their one of their concerts nice. in York. Nice. <laughs> yeah that's very cool but it, uh, it, yeah, it, and, and, you know, covers are big, good. <laughs> and and you know, you know, it's a huge thrill, you know, to oh, to be awesome. especially to be, um, you know, sitting and mixing an album with somebody who you idolized as a kid. You know? I can't it's even like, imagine that. Absolutely, <laughs> that, yeah. that, awesome. <laughs> <laughs> that is so. So, it, uh, so I guess you know, getting back to your question, I, I've been doing more of that recently. Uh, mm -hmm. But what happened was Jane and I actually, you know, we, we were living on this farm in Pennsylvania, which was a whole different podcast, probably. Um, I live in Pennsylvania. <laughs> you really? Yeah, we both are. Yeah, I do. Uh, yeah, well, I we, were, in we were in Mountjoy, Pennsylvania, in Lancaster County. Oh, and, yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. 
All we right. had this, this farm that was built in 1732. Um, and all these, you know, we had cows and chickens and pigs. And it, it was just a wonderful sort of 10 years of, of a very weird experience for a couple of city kids. Um, but just, <laughs> you know, an amazing, especially West Coast, you know, it, it was just a real interesting, vibrant experience. We decided, you know, we, we really miss family, so we decided to move back here to the West Coast. And so I was resetting up my studio, and I, I got some of the gear that I had used on GKs, um, and I was just playing around. And, and you know how it is with gear. Some of, some of the oh, gear, yeah. it just leads you in certain ways, you know. And suddenly I was writing very GK-ish kind of stuff again and I thought well, you know maybe there's more of this that needs to come out so uh, so that's kind of where where you know we, we headed toward the the kickstarter all right now you're you're getting into and this always fascinates me because you know you're you're someone that grew up in the LA scene or, or just we don't even have to call it the LA scene we'll call it uh something that uh, a lot of people listening to this probably won't understand. It's called the before the internet scene. Um, <laughs> where, 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 you know, it's... Before electricity, almost. <laughs> okay, wait a minute. No. <laughs> but, you know, you bring up a really interesting thing, and, and I, I've talked to a few people uh, that we've interviewed about this, and, you know, you're you're somebody that has absolutely kind of witness the evolution of the delivery of music and and being able to reach the people that want to hear what you're creating and i'd love to get your thoughts like you know you just started this kickstarter for everybody listening uh sequel is on kickstarter we'll have the link in the show notes and i think it's going to the end of december am i right about that yeah correct uh december 31 and uh you know, we we were fortunate. We we funded very quickly, like in five days. Okay. But but we're really hoping, you know, to reach some stretch goals and and allow us to do much more in terms of uh, the process for the album. And um, so yeah, we're we're excited about it and hoping that people will help us out, be a part of it. Okay, so for the uh 50 or so people listening right now no <laughs> but if you wanted to give me a good new year's eve birthday present uh, i will put the link in our show notes and no seriously um i i'm really excited about this project like for 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 one thing i you know kickstarter is in a, to me it's an amazing thing and it's it's where really you know, if you have a good idea or, a, no, no, if you have a good idea, and especially if you have an audience that you know is waiting for it, like, it offers a lot of opportunity. And you you funded this in five days, you said, right? Yeah. Well, okay. the, the fans did, thankfully. I'm, so, I, I, I'm sorry. Yes. Yes, you're absolutely right. The fans funded this in five days. And that is really, really wild. Um, How does that... How does that feel as a creative artist, you know, compared to, again, going back to where, uh, I, I, God, I don't even know how people sold 
music, not even talking before the internet, just in the music industry, just to get noticed. Because again, like there was no YouTube, there was no, I mean, obviously there was no YouTube, there was no internet, but like you had to be at the right place at the right time. Yeah. yeah. You know, how is, how is that different now, do you think? Um, well, it, you know, it was so different. Um, you know, you would, Mal, talk about a, a specific uh, kind of band. I remember I had a band, uh, this was kind of like in the late 70s, uh, very sort of power popish, very commercial. Um, it, it was a great band. We had, we had a bunch of great songs. We, uh, we played a lot, you know, we, and, and that was a big part of it. You would play anywhere you could play as many times sure. a week as you could. You know, we and we were fortunate. We could play places like you know the Whiskey A Go Go or Star Starwood. You or, played at the Whiskey? Oh yeah, we played the Whiskey all the time. And oh um, my god! Uh, and you know the funny thing is, going back again to the Scarlet Furies, then years later the Scarlet Furies played at the Whiskey, and that was such a trip. You know, to oh, do that with my, my daughter. <laughs> That's so cool. Yeah, but. Uh, <laughs> But, you know, back then, the whole thing was you, you would play and play and play. You'd try and save up your money to make a demo. You'd go into yeah. recording studios and pay $300 an hour. You know, try and get your songs down. Then try and figure out a way to get your tapes in the hands of somebody who mattered, which yeah. was, you know, t utterly impossible, you know. There were, like t <laughs> there were like eight record companies, and they all had, you know, brick walls all the way around. You know, it, so you would end up having to be very political, very, you know, networked, yeah. play that game. Eventually you might get under contract. You know, we were lucky we got under contract. We ended up, you know, in some of the top studios working with, you know, amazing people. Um, sure. and, and even then, you know, you could create unbelievable product. And it's still, you know, because maybe... 20 things got added at any given month uh, in terms of what radio would play. And if you weren't right. one of those 20 things, didn't matter how good it was, it just disappeared. Um, so it was a very weird time, but you know, it was, it was a lot of fun, you know, to do all that, <laughs> that touring and all that recording and, and sort of be a part of the heyday of the music industry. You know, it was very decadent and, um, you know, I'm lucky I survived. Ah, <laughs> <But laughs> <laughs> oh, that it's that's just wild. Like, I mean, just just from a, a relational standpoint, we were when we were playing. It was kind of right before YouTube was real easy to access. It was it, like it was kind of there, but it 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 really was still. It was like a half in, half out thing. And I just think that is so wild nowadays where it's like, and it, it's one of the, the greatest things. Like I, I look at the world that is today and like, yeah, it, it's very easy to, to like it kind of doom and gloomish, but it's like the opportunity that is there, you know, it's like, if you have a cool thing, the only difference is maybe today it lasts 15 minutes, but like, <laughs> you know, it, it's just really wild that, you know, and I look at your project with Sequel, and I I love that you're able to reach the audience that wants to hear it, and not only that, it's the audience that 
loved it in the early 90s. And, you know, we're talking years later and, you you know, you start up this, this Kickstarter and the idea just floats. And there are people that will just say, you know what, I want to hear more of that. And they're, you know, I, I just, that's such a tip of the hat to you. I think that is super cool. And, um, well, you know, yeah. you're, you're right that, you know, that sort of um, the ability of the technology to connect us all now, you know, is so powerful. Um, and it's, it's really interesting with something like, you know, my music, uh, for whatever reason, I think because my, a lot of that music was very emotional and very, absolutely, you know, sort of dynamic in those ways. It, it's actually always sort of been more uh, valued or popular with European audiences. And, and I still, you know, I get a lot of great uh, so cool. feedback and, and interest from people in Europe who just, you know, really connect to the dramatic nature of the music. Um, whereas, you know, a lot of people here in the States might consider it kind of schmaltzy. But um, so that's, you know, that's very cool to be able to do that in real time. I mean, I, I had an email this morning from a guy in Greece, you know, it's like, wow. hey, I, I just played wow. this game for the first time and I loved your music. You know, it's just like it's so cool. <laughs> Um, so yeah, that, but you know, it is a double-edged sword, uh, you know, there's, it was very weird back in, in the heyday of the industry, you had these huge gateways and if you didn't get through that gateway, the music yeah. didn't get heard. Um, but conversely, once you did get through that gateway, you know, those companies would pour millions to, to indoctrinate the public with your music, you know, either through <laughs> two, tours or radio or, and wow. uh, so it was a very powerful machine. So, you know, that's, that's kind of lacking these days. It's like, you know, if you can't inherently stand out on YouTube for some reason, you know, good luck. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's weird. It's weird when you look at it where it's like, I, 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 you know, I, I've, I've, friends with musicians and it's and and people especially you know when you talk about the old days it was like yeah and it's like if i could just get my music heard you know it's like well now you have the alley to to do that and you can get your music heard by anybody or whatever you're doing and i i think it's kind of a, a, the failing of technology today is that you know in a sense something crazy has to happen with it or something for it to go viral. And to me, it's like, you know, it, it's funny. What I, what I thought was so cool, you know, when we, you know, we started looking at our, you know, not, not well, like when we, we were setting up this interview, I was like, Scarlet Furies, who's the Scarlet Furies? And then like, I looked into that and I'm like, this is great. Like the music's awesome. And then I realized, Oh, like you're in that band. <laughs> and, and like, but to me, I, I just, there's something really special with the fact that you can still connect with people from decades ago that just love the work that, that you've done. And I, I, I guess I would ask you, you know, we're years on now. If, if there is something, you know, if you could reach back to your rock and roll guitar persona as you were, we'll say, in your teen years, 
wanting to break into this craft, assuming you didn't break in at 12, which is totally possible. Um, so before you broke in, whether it's 8, 12, 16, 20, whenever, uh, that you could tell the, the aspiring you or aspiring composers now that would love to get into this industry. Um, would you have anything you'd, you'd suggest or advice uh, to those people based on um, just the success you've had or whatever? Well, uh, yeah, you know, that's that's a great question it, that God knows I've asked, you know, when I've met people that I idolized or, or I really looked up to, you know, and I would ask that, very, <laughs> that same question. Um, <laughs> and for me, uh, you know, it's what I've learned. I mean, I've, I've had some amazing experiences. I feel really proud and and satisfied with a lot of the work that I've done I, you know there's also stuff I'm disappointed with but that I wasn't happy with or you know that I thought was great and it it totally tanked so you know you, you learn from all of that um, but the one thing that I'm I'm kind of finding still true and and even more true is that I think music that is made with a lot of spirit in it with either a lot of you know joy or a lot of sadness or a lot of emotion or a lot of legitimate sort of connection to the spiritual world if if that's baked into the music that's what communicates that's what comes across I me mean, you talk about safe in arms that's a very very simple song but what it is it's packed with it's emotion beautiful. And and the the spirit that's in that song is what comes across, you know. And I hear over and over people responding to that. Um, and so to me, you know, what I've seen is um, that if if you do any kind of music, and you're able to successfully sort of inject it with legitimate spiritual sort of energy, um, that 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 has a lot of, of validity and a lot of horsepower to it. Damn. I, I, I could say that the same would probably be true for any creative pursuit and for anyone listening. I think if there's a root of anything that, of what makes anything good, doesn't necessarily mean that you, you, you'll end up famous, but like, man, you pour your heart into something and it can last. And <clears throat> that is awesome. Um, Robert, this has been, this has been an amazing journey. I really, I, I just, you know, for myself, I want to say thank you, um, for showing up. I want to promote and push sequel because I really want a copy of this. That reason. You know, it, it, I so appreciate you guys having me here, and and the questions have been great. It's been a great conversation, and uh, you know, it, it's I'm extremely fortunate, and and I'm very aware of it. That you know, I'm going to be able to spend a lot of next year doing that album, and you know, hopefully putting a lot of love into that trying to to do that music justice and so i'm very thankful to the people supporting me for that 
Well, I will tell you that if you are ever doing anything else uh, that you want to come on here, sequel or afterwards, we would love to have you. This has been a wonderful, wonderful chat, and I, I really always appreciate, um, especially the people that can really give us and our listeners a peek into the creative process, and you've really gotten to experience this industry from a very uh, early time, uh, specifically talking on the, the gaming industry. And you are definitely somebody who influenced uh, where that industry went. And I really appreciate your time and just want to say thank you very much. And if you ever have any project that you want to come on and talk about, you know, get in, we'd love to get in touch with you. And, yeah, thanks uh, so much. Anytime. That'd be great. Thank you. Yeah, absolute treat. Thank you. Well, you know, part of, part of all of this, I mean, you know, Jane and I still um, hope that there are more games in our future together and, and that there will be some me opportunities. Too. Me too. I'm looking <laughs> so forward to that. <laughs> but, you know, this, this, this all is kind of a, you know, a toe in the water in that direction. But, um, but yeah, you know, we, we're very appreciative when folks like you give us an opportunity to sort of stick our heads up and, and you know, do a little promotion and, and talking. So thank you very much. Well, I'll just say, you and Jane keep making them, and I'll keep playing them. <laughs> <Absolutely>. <laughs> Thank you so much, Robert. All right. Thanks, guys.